Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from black magic. And we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey guys, welcome to the 56th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. We're two working directors in Los Angeles discussing the ups and downs of our careers with new and veteran directors. I'm Warren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Utlow. Today we've got Eric Kissack. He's a veteran of Just Shoot It. He has cut movies that you love and seen. Certainly I love them. Starting with Stella way back in the day, but doing movies like The Dictator, Role Models, Bruno, Cedar Rapids. Cedar Rapids. He did uh, Daddy's Home. Daddy's Home. And then, as listeners will remember, had a short film on the Saatchi list and kind of was blowing up as a commercial director. Now he's editing TV and he's entered that world and he's such a thoughtful, smart guy. We thought, oh, this will be a really interesting conversation to learn what Eric has been up to over the course of this last year. Yeah, he was editing NBC's The Good Place and now he's editing HBO's Veep. And he's going to tell us about how he got to that and how that's going to hopefully lead to him directing some TV episodes. I can't wait to talk to Eric. But first, Oren, what have you been working on lately? Well, it's the new year and, you know, it's... uh, a slower time in Hollywood. Everyone's just kind of gearing up and during the first week of January. One thing I did find out a couple of days ago is that the show I directed a year ago, last January, Miss 2059, got renewed by Verizon Go 90. You know, the interesting thing as a director for hire is that I have absolutely no idea if I'm going to be involved or not. I was emailing with the producer and the showrunners. The showrunners have a better chance of being involved than me. And of course, the creator, Anna Akana, who's been on our show, will definitely be involved since she's the actress that plays the main character and she created the show. But right now it's just kind of a waiting game to see if they want me back or not. Regardless, at least there's a little bit of validation that they're they're bringing the show back. It means someone must have liked it. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think uh, in Hollywood, oftentimes there's a if it ain't broke, don't fix it sort of mentality. So you know, you're obviously the easiest choice. And Miss 2059 is kind of a complicated show. Like it's hard to find a person who can deliver on a budget and also do comedy and also do special effects. So that's all pretty tricky. You know, I think the the biggest bummer about doing digital stuff because, you know, budgets are really great now and like there's a ton of opportunity, but it's a it's kind of a bummer that like you don't have the leverage to 
contract in like a second season, you know, like you were so instrumental, like everyone else on the creative team, but you know, you were instrumental in the success of that first season. And so, you know, if you're not asked to do the second season and another director is profiting off of that, that's, that's a bummer. You know what I mean? And I think oftentimes DGA jobs will kind of have those sort of provisions built in, or you'll get some sort of producer credit or a kickback or something. But in this new wild west of digital stuff, oftentimes that's a bigger ask than companies are willing to acquiesce to. Yeah, for sure. My reps asked for that and I don't think we got it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think people can kind of strong arm us, which is a bummer. Yeah. But oftentimes people are pretty good about just honoring it out of goodwill. Well, we, I will keep you informed as to what happens. But before I find out what happens, I would really like to know what you've been working on lately. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. I think stuff is kind of heating up for me scripted wise, but I wanted to talk about, I've had two instances where I had shows that were very close to going, one that I'd sold myself and then one that I had interviewed on that were going. And then um, due to kind of some corporate shakeups, were canceled. And so I think it's interesting to talk about just because, you know, in both situations, like I kind of did everything more or less as good as you could, right? Like things were going really well, everyone was really clicking. And then uh, just because like somebody's boss got fired and or replaced or something, you know, divisions were moved around or canceled or, you know, all sorts of kind of crazy corporate stuff that like, I kind of keep track of more or less, but I'm not like a deadline addict, you know? And so it's interesting how that stuff has this trickle down sort of effect on all of us and how, you know, it's a here today, gone tomorrow sort of thing. In the instance where I had the show that I was had created and sold, I delivered the series on a Friday, great notes call, hung up the phone and literally said to my wife, like, oh, I think I'm going to have a green light in like two weeks. And then that Tuesday, the division did not exist. <laughs> yeah, it was all in your head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, some real St. Elsewhere shit right there. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's no, crazy. That sucks. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it, it was a bummer for sure. But I think the reason I bring it up is just because like, you know, on the development side, like I was a part of like four or five reorgs, you know, and like there were shows that we all loved and were great. But like all of a sudden when a company's, you know, mandate shifts, if it doesn't fit that criteria anymore, you know, we're, we're sorry. Like that's just how the cookie crumbles. And so, um, you can't take it personally, certainly. And like, you know, you just kind of have to keep trucking on. Fortunately, the rights reverted back to me. So I think I'll probably, we'll see if I take the show out or not. It depends on, you know, the rest of the year, but, but yeah, it, it can be that easy guys, you know, and I would say the, the show that I sold is probably the best thing I've ever written. Yeah, I think it's probably the best. So, well, luckily you own it now. Yeah, yeah, which is frankly, you know, pretty generous of them. So, uh, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that stuff. But that's how it goes, guys. In the meantime, let's dig in and talk to Eric. Cool. Hey, Eric, how's it going, man? Uh, I'm good. Welcome to the podcast. Just shoot it. It's been uh, a year since we spoke last, I think, right? Wow. I've lost track of all time, but sure. Yeah, I'll then, then, then it makes sense. You, you know, 
Everyone's just kind of in a, behind a computer in a black room, basically. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I think you were on the panel episode most recently. I was. Right? I was. That was a lot of fun. Casting, right? Yeah. I am. Casting. Yeah. Yeah. So, Eric, you've had a busy year, man. You're editing some of the coolest TV shows. Thank you. Um, <laughs> well, we should probably yeah. we should we should back up a little bit because yeah, because the last time I was here, I wasn't editing. Sure, that's true. Yeah. I was just I was just focusing on the directing, and now I'm editing. So yeah, so let well, let's back it up. So you last we spoke, you were on the Sachi list, right? You had the the short, the gunslinger, gunfighter, gunfighter. Pardon yeah. me, yeah, no with Nick Offerman, mm-hmm. right? The weary gunfighter walked slowly through the saloon. The long miles from Cheyenne had taken their toll. Who's saying that stuff? He scanned the room with a suspicious eye. Years of being on the wrong side of the law had taught him that a tough man can get out of a situation, but a smart man never gets himself into one. Please quit doing that. I just want to have a shot of whiskey in peace. But the gunfighter would find no peace, for the Henderson boys were waiting in the corner to kill him for the $200 bounty on his head. Is that true? You boys trying to kill me like this voice is saying? Uh, no. Lied the oldest Henderson boy. So I directed this short film called The Gunfighter, and it sort of did well in the world. It, it, there was like a lot of people who watched it online. A lot of agents and producers and managers who saw it and, mm-hmm. you know, got a lot of meetings. It was and then Vimeo's staff pick, which was kind of the pick. step one for... Yep, yep. And then it ended up... A bunch of film festivals, and then it ended up getting on the, the Saatchi new director's list? New director, yeah, new director. Which sort of was like my intro into the commercial world, and so I got commercial representation, and it sort of felt like, you know, it was like, okay, I'm on I'm on the way. And you did, like, maybe some beer spots as a result? Is that right? Yeah, so I did... Um, after I got signed, I ended up doing a, a European beer spot and a couple spots for... Lactade, which I've seen them all. I see them on TV. They, all the they time. play a lot. Right? Yeah, with the yeah. cows, the cows, the annoying cow, the annoying and then the cow. nice cow. Yeah, you're doing God's work, man. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and uh, did a, did a few uh, Toyota commercials. Oh wow, which is fun. Car commercials, you know. And so it sort of like kind of felt like okay, well, I'm I'm being paid. I'm a working director now. Sure, you yeah, know, which is the dream. National know? spots, national spots. Yeah, and a couple things happened. One, I decided that I didn't really like commercials very much mm. um <laughs> but but you know that went hand in hand with fewer and fewer commercials being offered to me <laughs> so sure, sure. it wasn't purely just a just a moral choice or anything and is it, it's fair to say i'm assuming for a lot of us like you like commercials and you like working but you don't see that putting 100 percent of your creative passion into mm-hmm. commercials will be as fruitful as if you manage to get into tv or film I think I think that I would even go further as to as to say that I find most of the process of getting and then executing the commercials to be unpleasant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to dig in on that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, basically, the process of getting commercials is is fairly brutal. I mean, mm-hmm. you're basically writing a very extensive treatment. Pretty much every commercial job you write, I'm, I'm looking at you guys as if you don't know this but i realize you do but i'm just you know uh (laughs) you write this fairly extensive treatment and you're you're doing a lot of work you're basically mapping out how exactly you would make the commercial and i know it sort of sounds like a little bit like like kind of crybaby like like oh you have to do all this work to get the job but it's very taxing it's very draining i mean Mm -hmm. you're you know you spend a lot of time and energy and then you're always up against at least two other people Mm -hmm. and so you know 
two out of every three times you do it, you don't get it. You know, I mean, you know, I was actually, I was actually doing better than that. I was getting like between 40 and 50% of the things that I was going for. But even that, it was just like, like heartbreaking when, mm-hmm. when you don't get it. And then if you don't get two or three in a row, you just, it's like, you know, it's, it's hard to go on. I know. Right. It sounds- and, and a lot of times you get very little feedback about why you right. didn't yeah. get it. You know, and I, to me, like when I'm, you know, writing treatments for commercials, it's always like, should I go out on a limb? Should I, should mm-hmm. I pitch like a really big, bold idea mm-hmm. or should I pitch basically exactly what they told me mm-hmm. that they want, you know? And if I don't get it, regardless of what I picked, I always like, I'm so upset that I didn't go the other yeah, way. You fucked and, up. You did the wrong thing. Yeah. Am I allowed to curse in this podcast? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we are, but you're not. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Eric, take that, take that up, please. Yeah. <laughs> so that was part of it. And then, and then the other thing was that even when I did get it, you know, it kind of felt like I was the only person who was there to make something funny or good or good, you know, and then it sounds harsh, but I mean like, and it's not even that that it's not what I'm trying to say is not that I was the only person who knew how to do something funny or good. It was just that everyone else had other overriding concerns, like how the product looked, you know, what the background colors were because, Oh no, blue is Honda and red is Toyota. So you you got to change that whole set, you know, and like, like things like that, you know, creative, directors who are incredibly talented but who are obsessed with props Mm -hmm. you know because that's their thing you know and you're just like that does that really matter you know but to them it does and that's the only thing that matters yeah is pleasing is pleasing them you know i think there's also as people who decided to become directors you kind of like as a kid you think like oh you're the boss like i want to be the boss i want to make the decisions i want to like weigh in and not not because you're bossy, but because like, you know, maybe you have a sense of vision or like purpose or something like that. You want to make something special. Right. And I think in commercials in particular, you're really I always say you're the middle of the sandwich. Like there are so many yeah. people who are way more important or and have more of a say and more authority than you. And so it does sometimes be become demoralizing when you kind of just feel like you're following through on their vision and their mm-hmm. orders. Yeah. 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 And it's not to say that, you know, if, if, if you stick with it and you become Frederick Bond or, you know, some like top A-list director that you're not bringing a lot of more of your creative vision to right. it, you know, right. and, 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 you know, I mean, if I stuck with it for X number of years, you know, maybe it would have gotten to a point where it was like, I was just trusted a lot more mm-hmm. and then that was more fun, you know, but I think it just, it was sort of like the combination of, of just not being completely convinced it was worth it and just getting few opportunities, <laughs> you know. And part of the reason for that was essentially that there is a huge heat element in, mm-hmm. in commercials, in, in everything, in film and television. But I think in commercials more than the other fields where I had heat coming off of the gunfighter, coming off of the Sachi thing and people were hiring me because of that heat, mm-hmm. you know, and I think I did good work in the right. interim, but it wasn't enough to like keep the heat going, right. you know, and that was unfortunate and a bummer, you know, yeah. <laughs> it was sort of like contributed to my sort of feeling of sort of, of, of like, you know, this is maybe right. not for me. Right. Well, when all like jobs are just coming in, you know, right and left, it's easy to just be distracted. Right. And when inevitably everybody always will have some sort of lull, that's when you kind of get reflective, right? Exactly. And then it's like, exactly. you decide, oh, is this worth it or isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And those lulls, I mean, it's not like they're rare. It's like they always come. If you ever yeah. have heat, you will always have a lull yeah. afterwards. Yeah. 
and I just signed with two new production companies and they were so excited. Oh, the sales agents love your stuff. And then for two weeks, nothing, no one is into me. And so they call me and they're like, hey, can we recut your thing? So you have that two and a half minute video. Let's mm-hmm. cut a 30 out of it. Let's do that. Right. It's like all of a sudden you feel like no one is interested in you at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then and then two things come in in a row and you're just like, I'm on top of the world. I right. mean, that was part of the, that was actually, an, it's like that philosophically was a big part of it because I started to realize that personality wise, I don't know that I'm cut out for that constant like, okay, it's Monday what is this week going to look like, mm-hmm. you know? And that's a big thing that I think like we, all of us as directors have to figure out how much of that we can tolerate. Yeah. What, what do you want your lifestyle to be? Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. And I started to realize that I, I wanted to be working on a project for, you know, months, if not, if not years, you know, like that was the thing that, that, that kind of would, mm-hmm. would, would get me excited to really, you know, put more of myself into something for a longer period of time. And so that meant sort of turning away from commercials a little bit more entirely and sort of diving back into film and TV. So did you leave your reps and things like that? Or is it just kind of No, like I just kind you of... You ghosted on them. I, I didn't exactly ghost on them. I gave them a call and I said, look, I, I'm going to focus my, my attention elsewhere. If something comes up, please call me, you know. And, you know, I hear from them every now and then. And But, but honestly, what there isn't that much you can do. I'm actually asking you for me personally, yeah, yeah. like... What can you do between those opportunities? Between like, hey, somebody liked your reel, you know, you, mm-hmm. we, you're going to pitch on this. Mm-hmm. What do you do between those calls? It's not like you're going to just sit there and, you know, re-edit your work. Right, or to work on your commercial career. Or you're going to yeah. call someone or you're going to go to a party to right. try to network. It's like you have your production company that's yeah. repping you and well, there's I, not much you can do. I think there is like kind of a, a culture of advertising that we, as people who kind of came at it sideways, maybe aren't as engaged in as we mm-hmm. could be. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I was talking with a friend the other day, you know, he was really debating whether he just kind of really dives in headlong into that. But like, you know, there are screenings and like industry parties and commissioners to get to know you could you could play that game for right. sure. There are things you can do right. the same way you have to network for, you know. TV and film and everyone has right. their own ecosystem. A counterpoint. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. And this is kind of I think the third, the third leg in that sort of decision to sort of move away from TV. The first being, you know, of, of the difficulties of making something good and creative. The second being sort of the heat dying, you know, the third is, I think that the advertising industry is changing very, very mm. dramatically. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, yeah. I think a lot advertisers are taking money out of TV, putting mm-hmm. them into other things. I don't think, I think everyone is sort of like flailing and trying to figure it out, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think this is, I mean, I spent a while talking to people and like sitting down with, with directors, big directors, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think that like a lot of directors who have really established themselves and really sort of mm-hmm. like made it are okay. Right. Right. And a lot of, every, like a the lot name of, brand guys are yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And a lot of other people are, are kind of struggling a little bit, you know, because, it just because everything's changing and no one quite knows, you know, like what, what to do, what yeah. to do, you know? Yeah. No, I guess that makes sense. I'm kind of thinking of like, you know, when I was an intern at the director's bureau, we mm-hmm. would go to like res screenings and stuff like that. You know? When were you an intern? I know it was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, saying, yeah, yeah like, like the, certainly the game has changed. Yeah, it, no. And of course you can become friends with sales agents and go to like meet marketing people and, mm-hmm. it, yeah. but the problem is, it's like there's so many people involved in the decision of who the director is. Oh, yeah. And they, there was people don't even realize. Like the mm-hmm. CEO of Walmart doesn't realize that when he says, we want to diversify 
are creative, that means they're not going to hire like a white director, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. like it, it's just so out of your control as opposed to yeah. like, and oftentimes you don't even find out. Yeah. yeah. In film, you could literally meet like you know, producer, an executive yeah, at yeah, Paramount yeah. or mm-hmm. producer yeah. and say, Hey, here's my log line. Right. You want to mm-hmm. check out my treatment and then here's my, and script. then go have a meeting. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that's true. That's true. And I think really like if you dive too far into that ecosystem, you just end up becoming a creative director. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like you just get the staff job. You're still super creative. You get more say than a director anyway, you know, before you know it, you're just, you know, at Saatchi or somewhere. Right. 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 This is a really dumb question, but I'm curious what you guys think. How many, like working commercial directors, do you think there are in America? Like over a thousand, like mm-hmm. that that direct three or more commercials a year. I bet it's shockingly low. Yeah, and what do you mean, broadcast commercials? Or are you lumping in TV commercials? TV, TV commercials. Yeah, I bet it's probably. Well, I'm. You know, you look at like a Pretty Bird or an RSA or something mm-hmm. like that. Their rosters on the high end 30 people right right and most of those people are not most working. of them are not working yeah yeah, yeah totally yeah, they, like, they did a great feature or something yeah, like on yeah. most of those rosters i think i like i've i've done some research into this and it's like something like like 10 to 20 percent of the rosters are working regularly yeah that makes sense that makes you sense know? and like how many pretty birds are there right 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 like let's say 30 right Maybe? probably at the top yeah. the high end yeah, yeah. right like, yeah, that, that seems, I'm yeah. kind of trying to be as generous yeah. as possible. My yeah. guess, my like just pie in the sky guess is like 300. 300 directors. So when you're up for a job that's, let's say, a medium budget job, like a mm-hmm. three to $500,000 mm-hmm. spot, mm-hmm. one day shoot. Right. How many directors do you think you're up against that would t- that would be willing and excited to pitch, to write a treatment for that job. You know, like, I don't know if you, if Errol Morris is probably not, is out of that league, but. But I mean, it's never quite like, you know, because, because they're always going to narrow the pool dramatic, you know, they're, they're going to say like, Mm -hmm. okay, we're going to start with, with five names. Yeah. Like, oh, these are the companies that we like best. It's not, it's not like, they don't like look at every director out there. It's just, you know, they, they're like, oh, I want to talk to this sales agent this month, you know, or or they go, oh, it's funny. Let's go to hungry man or it's, oh, it needs to be stylized. Let's go to pretty bird. There are a bunch of sales agents and they, Mm -hmm. each sales agent represents a bunch of production companies and each production company represents a bunch of directors. So it's like, if someone says, if Pepsi says, Hey, we're looking for a director for this fun, like, millennial influencer TV mm-hmm. spot about, you know, mm-hmm. like Pepsi and Doritos is having a contest. You're probably getting approached by like 20 sales agents. Well, they have their agency, right? And the agency probably talks to like 10 sales agents who are pitching like 30 companies who are pitching like 90 directors, don't you think? I don't think so. I don't. I mean, just because some of the, I've talked to these, these I've talked because for a while when I was getting started, I really wanted to learn the process. And so mm-hmm. I would finish a job, try to make friends with like the producer and just right. be like, you know, how's, how's this working? Yeah, go take a review or whatever. Yeah. You know, it was like, I think in terms of like a job, they would watch maybe 10 reels you know, in like considering who, who to go after and then like check availabilities on five people and get like three to five treatments, you know, that seemed to be at least for the, I mean, I was, you know, I was doing like the $200,000 range stuff, you know, but I don't know. I can't imagine it's that different. Yeah. No, I think, I think that makes sense. I guess like there is some comfort in knowing that you're only up against nine other people, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. There, there are a lot of TV commercials. I guess my, I'm trying to find some light. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> like sorry. Silver I mean, lining. To, to well, bring it down. I mean, I think like the real difference is just like 
Eric just learned that he didn't love them enough to want to waste his time on it. Right. And like, that makes complete sense. That's totally fine. Like some people like making some, I knew dudes who like dreamt of doing car commercials, like in film school, like that's what I want to do is just car commercials. I'm a car guy. Yeah. And then like, they just go out and do it and love it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there's, if, 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 if that excites you, then you should be doing it and you will probably do better than I did, you know? But if you're, if it's like, well, it's just my, if it's just my way to pay the bills, I really want to do X. You should probably be doing X. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are easier ways to pay the bills, right? Yeah. Well, but would you say feature film or TV directing is easier than commercial directing? No, but I'm, I'm, we're saying like, if you realize that you don't love directing commercials, which is a competitive and hard thing to do, then it's worth shifting away to do something else. Either something that you love or something that's right, easier. Right. Right. Yeah. Like it's not like, it's not like, it's not like directing commercials is a safety school. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's still incredibly difficult <laughs> and incredibly competitive, you know? So if you're going to pick an incredibly difficult competitive thing to do, pick the thing that really excites you and, you know. Okay. So sorry. So let's get back on track. So yeah, you, decided tv was more something you want to focus on than film well not exactly so i decided that it was film or tv you know and i have a long history of editing films and i knew i knew that from my, from my experience working as an editor in films that there wasn't a clear path from editing films to directing films mm-hmm. but there was a clear path from editing tv to directing tv so knowing that i decided it was worth investing some time into sort of, you know, editing TV and sort of making some connections and sort mm-hmm. of exploring that world. But at the same time, I still, I'm still very engaged in the film world. I'm, I'm reading a lot of scripts. I'm still, you know, doing meetings. I've got a meeting at Sony tomorrow, you know, like I'm doing that, but you know, look at this is, this is the, this is the, we all have to pay the bills, right. you know? And so, you know, you can, you can pay the bills by chasing commercials. You can pay the bills by, editing or doing vfx or or something you know but that's the reality well and also i think you know feature films are kind of a long-term game right so like so you can edit tv and like have a flourishing you know tv career shadow move up the ladder and still be working on your movies you know what i mean like kind of at the same pace regardless of what you're doing with the rest of your time yeah exactly but isn't isn't editing i mean you're editing veep right now Mm -hmm. isn't that like an intense job yeah, but I mean, God, I feel like this is not going to be, you know, <laughs> applicable to anyone in the world but me. But basically, like, I don't know, editing at this point in my career, I can't do it with my eyes closed, but it's like, it's, it comes easy. Sure, sure. It comes easy, you know? And so it can be intense, it can be long hours, but I, I leave and I'm not 100% drained. I'm like, mm-hmm. 80% drained <laughs> and I can spend that other 20% energy doing something else, you know? So yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, that was, and that was something I just, I was, I wondered about and, and discovered was relievedly the case. It's not a word, but you know, so the first TV show I signed on for last year was the good place, which I thoroughly enjoyed and then started Veep also last year. And uh, both of those shows, you know, I really enjoyed working on them there. I learned a lot and I felt like, it was about 60% of the stress, anxiety, and mm-hmm. amount of draining, yeah. emotionally draining, as of editing movies. Yeah, the quality of life. Interesting. It, it, you can't be breakneck speed on TV just because you're working for so much longer, right? Like, 
there's just the schedule wise, you know, you burn everyone out and that you have to have, you have built in hiatuses and yeah, I think the main thing is the hiatus is like, like, you know, you do have this built in hiatus also in between episodes, like, so so there's multiple editors on TV Mm -hmm. generally, you know, sometimes three, but usually like two. So there are two editors on Veep and they'll shoot an episode and I'll edit it and it'll be intense and I'll work really hard and then I'll finish it and they'll still be shooting the other guy's episode you know, and I have a couple of days downtime or you know, not necessarily downtime, but I'm polishing. I'm not really like, you know, it's on a, it's on a mad dash. And then the next one starts. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of like this nice little rhythm. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and like I always know because there's a schedule of shooting. I always know exactly right. when I can schedule a meeting. Or you can be like, like honey, yeah. it's a show week. Like, don't, you know, don't make dinner plans. Yeah, or like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And is Veep's a 30 minute show? Veep's a 30 minute show. Yeah. And how many days do you have to edit it? You know, the schedule is pretty nice. They basically give me like two weeks to edit it. I can usually get an episode done in like eight days. Mm-hmm. So that's why I kind of like have like a little bit of, of cushion at the end. You know? And then like in terms of notes and sessioning and that sort of stuff, like like I know you have to like watch down with, you know, mm-hmm. studios and all of that stuff. Like, yeah. I imagine that the further along it gets, the the easier those applying those notes becomes, right? So Veep is special because... It's HBO and HBO tends to be very hands off. Mm. So they they have very few notes, mm-hmm. not because they're not concerned about quality, but because they hire really good people who know right. what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, The Good Place was a network show, but the showrunner is Mike Schur of right. yeah, Parks yeah. and Rec and Brooklyn Nine-Nine fame, you know, and so the studio would have a note. And if it was a note that was helpful, we would do it. If it wasn't, we wouldn't. Right. It's, and it's Mike Schur, so... What are you going to say? <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. So I've gotten kind of lucky in those. I mean, you know, I think if I was working on like, like a show that was like a, a new showrunner didn't know what he was doing, you know, like, like, again, it's like my film experience has been the same, you know, when I'm editing a movie for someone who's a pro who knows what they want, who knows how to make a movie. It's not that hard. Right, right. You know, it's like when, it's like when there's people who either haven't done it before or, just are unsure of themselves like that's when it gets complicated that's when it gets hard no that makes sense and so eight days does that include like a day with the director and a day with the producers no so um that's just my cut and then the director gets two days and then the producers usually get a week oh wow and do you have like a rough cut on day one or how like or like an assembly i usually have an assembly after like six days oh really it takes six days for the 30 minutes yeah because they shoot six days so i usually keep up Oh, you're you're cutting as exactly. as they shoot. They're starting to send you footage, exactly. But it's not in order or anything. No, correct. So they, but he has an AE like stringing out and stuff, right? Or no? Um, no. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Just um, I do some sort of organizational stuff, but you know, I have an AE. I mean, sure, you know, sure, but, of course, but, yeah, yeah. But maybe just the term stringing out. We don't do string outs. But the point be, is that I can usually edit a day of footage in a day. So right. they shoot. For 12 hours on a Monday, but at the end of day Tuesday, I can have all that edited. And are they like syncing and every the audio and everything that night, Monday night? Yes. So we have a guy overnight who's our dailies guy who does, he does the transcoding, he does the syncing. These days, it's like they, they, they use this like digital stuff to like all syncing is automatic. He basically, he actually, it's actually funny, he does it remotely. Oh. So so they literally just take the, the S by X card, plug it into his system, he logs in remotely and just you know, it has like a bunch of scripts and it's all, it's all very oh, wow. futuristic. Does he label the clips like, you yep. know, shot of Julia close up? No, like he, no, he doesn't describe them. He just, it, uh, this, the clips get the name of the setup 
and the take number. Like one A takes exactly. three or whatever. Exactly. So um, I'm curious because yeah. when I edit, I always like to describe, like to just write like medium shot of Mike or whatever. The Do reason why that's that? not helpful with Veep and with The Good Place is they shoot everything with at least three cameras. Mm-hmm. So essentially you could label it like medium, you know, like cross, cross and wide or something, you know, but it's like, it's just much more easier just to see it. So I edit it with, with, with all thumbnails with, I will edit, you know, I load a clip into the, into the viewer and I've got all three cameras just and there multi- and, oh, I can see, I see. and I can see, I can clip and I can just see what it, what it looks like. And, and it's funny because it's Veep is a, because Veep is a sort of a documentary style show, mm-hmm. it's kind of less important to like do the like, you know, master close, mm-hmm. you know, like it, like you almost kind of don't want to do that because you want it to feel as kind of raw and mm-hmm. and rough as possible. And you guys are like zooming; it's all handheld and yeah, stuff. So yeah, like yeah, yeah. So a lot of times, transferring yeah, and stuff. A lot well. of times, I'm actually just scanning for like interesting camera moves. Mm-hmm. You know, like if there's a camera that moves from like. Tony Hale to Julie would drive is like at the perfect moment. I'm mm-hmm. like, yes, that's going in. Yeah, yeah. Know, no matter what. And, you know. And so do you feel like the camera operators are part of the storytelling? Like oh, they're yeah. punching up hundred moments? Yeah, 100%. They can totally ruin or save a joke. Absolutely. Just by whether they've they've made the, the, the swish pan at the right moments. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so much of the timing of the show is like in, in those movements. There's so, a great, it's an episode last season called Mother that i is that the one where selena's mom has died yes i think that's the funniest episode it's of the series it's probably the best episode they've done yeah it's so uh the director of that episode was just today nominated for a dga oh great and there's a scene in that in that episode where the doctor tells selena that her mother's died Mm -hmm. and almost all the humor is in the camera because there are essentially like four characters there but you don't know that at first. At first, you just see the doctor and Selena, mm-hmm. and it's all one take. And the camera just sort of at the exact right moment moves to reveal her daughter standing there, mm-hmm. and then moves to reveal Tony Hill. And like each of them is like in a more feverish state of being upset. And Julia is just like completely just not phased by the fact that her mother. I mean, she's like sure, yeah. you know, holding it or whatever. But it's an incredible comic, you know, scenario that is completely driven by camera moves and reveals and it's pretty amazing and was it were those camera moves in the script no no i actually talked to the director about it and that was something that they just kind of found on the day really yeah 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 wow and so just to geek out on editing for yeah. a moment did you like how do you approach a scene in veep like i think it's interesting that you're you're saying yeah. you, you don't do a master close-up close close how do you you know you- i mean in comedy you know, I, I, so I think of comedy as essentially like there are these, these buoys in the scene. There's like these waypoints mm-hmm. that are the jokes, you know, and the key is to get to those waypoints in a timely fashion. And once you're there to like, you know, you, you have to make sure that it's protected. The joke basically is, mm-hmm. you know, executed in the best way possible, you know. So a lot of times what I'll do, I don't always do this, but a lot of times what I'll do is I'll go through and I'll just watch the joke. You know, like I know, okay, that like, like you read the script and you're like, okay, there's, there's three lines in this that are the jokes, you know? And so I'll go in and I'll just say, okay, well here, here's the take that best executes that joke. And here's the, oh, this, oh, this camera move is perfect for this joke. And then this performance from, you know, whoever Sam Richardson is like perfect for this joke. And 
I lay those in. That's, that is thought the anchors of my scene. And then it's just about getting there. And it doesn't matter if it's a close-up, medium, wide shot, camera move. I mean, sometimes it matters. You know, I mean, if you need to see someone's reaction and they're standing next to them, you want to be in a medium, you know. But for the most part, it's just like I use those as the anchors. And then it's about how do I get there? And you don't want to like, you know, you want to get there in a elegant way. So you don't want you don't necessarily want to, you know, like sometimes a cut can ruin a joke. Because if you're like, if you're like, cut, here's a joke, haha, you know, especially on Veep, it doesn't necessarily work. So sometimes it's about making sure that you're, you know, you're, you're, you can sit on that shot long enough that it, that the joke happens organically, you know. But yeah, I sort of start with these little islands and then kind of like build up from there. And then like comparing Good Place, The Good Place, which is also comedy mm-hmm. and Veep. Like how much style do you get when you start working? Like, do they say like, this is a really cutty show or we try right. to never cut unless we absolutely have to? I mean, Good Place was the first season show. Right. So a lot of it we were sort of figuring out as we went along. Veep is a six season show. So the yeah. style is fairly well established, but an entirely new creative team took over in season five. So in a, in a weird way, it's like a second season show. I mean, a lot of the things that, you know, there's still there's still a lot of stylistic elements that, that stayed from the first four seasons, but some of them are rethought, you know. And so it's the nice thing about doing a show that, that where there's been other seasons, you know, like there's a big I was cutting a, a scene last week where there's a big ballroom, you know, and I was like, oh, well, there's an episode last season where they did a big ballroom. So I'm going to watch that scene and see how they did it and see how they moved around and see how much background music they used. And, you know, it doesn't mean I have to slavishly copy that, it, but it's just a nice template to sort of say like, OK, this worked really well. Mm-hmm. Mm, this didn't work as well. Maybe I can improve on that, you know, that kind of thing. Which is, I think that's a big part of the reducing and in stress and anxiety from, from film. Sure, because yeah, in film, yeah. you're... You're not starting from scratch. You're starting from scratch every time yeah. you know, in film. You know, you're, right. you're, you're remaking the wheel. Or sometimes you're trying, like you cut a scene and it feels too traditional. Or mm-hmm. like yeah. you've seen that scene before and so you're trying to find ways to make it fresh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But in, but in TV, it's much more of a kind of like, well, this is the language of the show, so I'll just stick to it, you know? yeah. Stuff. I feel like I just want to come shadow you, just sit on yeah, anytime. watch you cut. Seriously, come by. Like, do they have insert shots on Veep? Rarely. They try to do it where it's a, it's all on camera. So it's like, you know, someone's looking at a, TV, at a, at a screen, you know, it's like mm-hmm. face down the screen, back up to the face, you know. Or like a document. If they read something, how, how would you edit that? Or do they never read stuff off the screen? Or, off or like cell, paper. cell phones maybe are kind of an easier example. Rarely. But it's all reactions, right? Yeah, yeah. there's rarely, I, there's almost never just a straight insert. In fact, that was actually an issue. There was some, there was a, there's a running gag of about people looking at something on an iPad in the episode that we're working on now. And they didn't get enough shots of the ipad <laughs> we actually have to try to tell them like you guys might need to do an insert <laughs> was it a practical like ipad or is vfx they add it's well? vfx but they just never like hung on the ipad long enough really to- well, it makes sense though because that show like so much of it is just like the swarm of people around oh, selena yeah. like explaining the context for like why this tweet was weird or whatever so like yeah i imagine it's probably pretty rare that you would really need uh, even like to, to pan down to yeah, the, to yeah. the there's very device. little visual comedy in the yeah. show i mean i can think of offhand like the five really big visual jokes in the in the show you know it's almost yeah. all dialogue yeah humor you know no right. wonder i like it so much <laughs> <laughs> and do you ever retime shots to make them work for pacing or anything definitely do that in the good place haven't done it yet on veep just because the rhythm is so locked in by the cast to a certain extent and also just because 
you know, like retiming shots is a lot easier to do when it's not all handheld. Veep is all handheld, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And are you doing like split screens on the Good Place and stuff? Or like how is it? Like, split or screen, like digital split screen. A lot of digital split screens mm-hmm. on, the, on the Good Place. Less so on Veep. And just to explain to our listeners, by split screen, yeah. you mean you're you're using two different performances from different takes or exactly. retiming performances? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, basically, the thing about, you know, like, look, The Good Place is Ted Danson, Kristen Bell, and a bunch of other incredibly talented actors. They're great. But, you know, modern comedy is very, very fast. It's way faster right. than than a human speaks than, than a human speaks yeah. or, or interacts or that kind of thing, you know. And so something that feels completely normal and organic on set, when you're editing it down to twenty one thirty, you know, twenty one minutes thirty seconds, it feels let in, and you sometimes just have to punch it up. And so sometimes we we combine different takes using digital split screens to make that happen. Yeah, and not to nerd out too yeah. much, but are you taking those out to VFX and then getting them temp? Or are you just temping them? Great in question. Yourself? We usually temp in a bad version. Mm-hmm. I'd say 90% of them are done by Universal Post, which is mm-hmm. just our online. So the, the, basically the color guy is mm-hmm. just doing them. Oh, interesting. Because, you know, in the, the Da Vinci, it's... Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually... It's pretty deep. It's, it's like watching magic happen. Yeah, here, right? yeah, yeah. Every now and then there's one that's super complicated where there has to be some roto and we have our vendor, which was Digital Domain, do them. Oh, sweet. And at what point um, do you guys decide, like, okay, like we definitely want to use these two takes. We definitely want to merge them, like, send them out to Universal Post. And then, like, who, at what point is, is it no longer okay to show the temp version? To we people? pretty much keep the temp version into the very, very end. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's basically... So, like, studio people are studio seeing people it. Studio people are seeing it. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, are you involved big, in color and any of that stuff? So, it's a funny thing. There's a big difference between TV and film. In film, the editor is essentially the head of post right you know so editor is essentially supervising mm-hmm. sound and color and vfx because right. the director's long gone right and the producers are typically yeah. writing is that the situation is that why yeah, yeah. in film in, 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 in tv film, yeah. i'm talking about oh, oh i see in film in tv it's very different okay in tv editor is a much kind of less important position which has actually been like a weird adjustment for me and and one that i haven't been dealing with well so the way that i've been dealing with it is essentially forcing my way into these situations (laughs) so i just show up at the mix and i just show up at the adr and, and, and so on and so forth and in the beginning people were kind of weirded out and then eventually they were like oh you know it's actually really good having the editor here because he's the one or she's the one who knows the episode better than pretty much anyone right you know so i like to think that i'm doing my part to change the culture of (laughs) tv post i actually know other editors who've been sort of trying to make this change i think it's i think it it just makes sense you know yeah i wonder if maybe there are kind of like union rules no no, 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 no. it's just tradition it's just it's just you know the tv is a is a writer's medium it's literally mm-hmm. you know and so and so generally it's it's run there's a showrunner or writer producers who sort of are in charge of that kind of thing and i think i think tv is getting much more ambitious i mean it has been for years we sure. all know this but even a show like you know like the good place is a much more ambitious half hour comedy than would have been possible 10 years ago you know yeah, or, or, or even like yeah. five, you know i mean like you know, there's there's a crazy VFX, dozens of VFX yeah. in every episode. There's you know, there's a lot of it's it's complicated, and so that's why I I, I feel like it's you know I've been pushing myself into the more of the kind of process of, of finishing these TV shows, but sort of bring back to directing because that's what this podcast is about, right? You know, I mean, I it's funny because I I, I touched on this briefly earlier, the sort of personality, like what kind of personality type are you? You know, and um, 
you know, I, in order to do, I think, well, a lot of what you guys do of just sort of like, you know, like constantly hustling mm-hmm. and like constantly like making, you know, forging new connections and, and following up with people, follow, yeah, all that yeah. stuff, you know, the grind of yeah. finding work. I, I don't know. I think that I ultimately was not that great at that. You know, I think I was okay at it, but I don't know that I was good enough to like really, you know, make that my career. Yeah, but this is the guy that was like had never edited TV before and was like, oh, I want to edit TV. And then like a week later, you're editing like an NBC show. Yeah, but that's because I spent 10 years as a feature film editor and feature film is still top of the heap, you know. So when I was like, it was like, oh, okay, the guy that edited The Dictator wants to do my TV show. Great, let's hire him, you know. So, you know, it's not it's not exactly analogous, but. Well, but it, it is still a hustle, right? You know, you, you still had to be like, oh, okay, well, mm-hmm. I don't want to do this thing. I've got this resume. Yeah. I do want to do this other thing. How can I make what I've done and my experience? How do, how can I parlay that as quickly as possible? I think it's a really good point. I think, I think, I think to a, to a certain extent in order to be successful as a director in any, you know, in film, television, commercial, you have to be somewhat of a hustler. I just think it's a matter of degrees. Sure. Sure. You know? And so I think what I realized was uh, the, the kind of hustle that I felt like I could pull off, Mm-hmm. is the hustle where I say, okay, I've got this skill. I'm an editor and I can go in and I can edit your TV show and you do a great job. And there's like no better way to prove that you get the show. Yeah. Yeah. And I can really learn the show and I can really learn the, you know, everything and get to know it. people and even to know people. when there's a mixed down session and the editor yeah. isn't normally there. You get a little more FaceTime. Exactly. You know, like exactly. And really kind of like push my way into yeah. the heart of the show and then and then and be very upfront about the fact like, hey, I want to direct. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I said that when I first met Mike Sher, who ran The Good Show, The Good Place, I said, you know, I, I want to direct. How did he react to that? You know, you're kind of like reading the tea leaves a little bit. You know, it's like no one's going to come out and say like, like, great, there's a slot, in, you know, for mm-hmm. episodes eight open. You can have it. You know, like that's just that's not going to happen. But you can sort of you can say you can you know someone can say like oh well uh, you know and then you're like okay i mean that's not gonna happen or i mean basically mike was just like yeah i'm open to that (laughs) you know so again like it's like it's never it's never a sure thing but um (laughs) unintended yeah and so you know veep is a little bit you know veep veep was a calculated decision i was essentially told that veep was an incredible long shot to direct Mm -hmm. because there's only 10 episodes right and because it's arguably the best comedy on television yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's an emmy factory yeah <laughs> yeah and so right. like there's a long list of directors who are for a way to do it but you know i figured somehow it would help me in the long run i don't know well I, <laughs> definitely <laughs> having editing veep and the good place on your resume when you're trying to direct the tv shows does not hurt yeah i, I wonder if you should just um find a worse show to work on Right. I absolutely was a big, big decision. I mean, I, you know, not that there was any particular bad show that I was up for or anything like that, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, you, and when I say I'm joking, but I mean like less competitive. No, no, show. no you're right. I mean like, you know, CBS is making 24 or 22 episodes of mom. Right. You know, right. which, which, which is a great show, which is it. <laughs> I, yeah. Actually I, people do. Okay. Like, yeah. yeah. I didn't, I didn't bring um, it up cause I thought it was bad, sure, but no, like no, it's a saying. very, it's like a middle of the road. That's a multicam show. Though, yeah. Right? It's a multi-cam ah, okay. Yeah. Bad example then actually. But, in, but like, you know, season eight of, you know, pretty little liars is not anymore, but like something like that where it's like, there's right. still like, you can like flex your muscles a little bit. Yeah, there's a yeah, big yeah. order, but it's not, yeah. you know, you're not yeah. fighting the guy who just won Sundance to yeah. go direct. But anyway, yeah. So, so, you know, so basically the, the, 
right now I'm I'm working my way into into prestige TV and and telling everyone on direct and and that's sort of the plan you know that's my that's my uh, that's my modest hustle that so, I can do while I get paid to edit. So what's the next move? We're gonna find out if good, the Good Place is renewed very soon. I think you know I'll I'll sit down with the showrunner and the producer and say I want to come back and I want to direct and if they say no then. I will have to think about <laughs> what yeah. to do next. Well, right. it's helpful. Your showrunner has three TV shows on right now. Yeah, I mean that's another thing. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like okay, give me an episode of Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah, yeah, I mean, who knows? It's all just. And do you think you're only primed to direct comedy? Mm, I think that in this industry, the more you can stay on brand in the beginning, the better. Mm-hmm. You know, right? And clearly, my brand is comedy. Because we had um, Matt Barber on the podcast a couple times. I think mm. I might have told you about him. He's our my friend that edits, Chuck, he was the editor on the OC, and then uh-huh. Chuck, and then a bunch of shows. But he the directed 100. the One Hundred. He mm-hmm. directed I Zombie, mm-hmm. and he got all those jobs by saying they're them saying like, "We really want you to edit this." Right. And he said, "I will if you let me direct an episode." Yeah. yeah. But those there's comedic elements to I Zombie. The whole premise is a you know a woman that sure. eats people's brains to find out the details of their life, but it's. It's not a traditional comedy. It's like a CW, right, yeah. like teen. It's like a CW procedural, really, right? Yeah. 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 Is that something that, that type of genre, something yeah, that you would course. be open to? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I, think, I think the smart move really is to try to find something along those lines, you know, where it's not one of the top right. three. <laughs> or a new comedy. show, right? Like we yeah. didn't know a good place was going to be good when it first right. came out, right? Like you have it's a safe bet but like yeah, yeah, yeah it's not like people are vying for it right like you we can all name like the 10 or 20 shows that like everyone we know would kill to direct for right, right? like they're the, the prestige cable stuff right, right? Right, right but yeah i think that is interesting to kind of like yeah you know get into an institution or like you know brooklyn on 99's on like season five five I or six yeah yeah they're getting up there yeah, yeah so maybe something yeah. like that yeah they filmed some scenes right here in front of my house oh, nice. uh, on Dillon Street. So, oh, it's the closest they came to directing it. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing, and then, and so for people who, who don't know, TV is a like club. It's a club more than anything else. Is a club, and that once you get one episode, you're in the club. It's not yeah. not to mean that you're working nonstop or anything like that, but it's like one episode leads to something else, leads to something, yeah. you know. And 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 getting that first episode is bitch you know and it's and it's i don't i actually spent a lot of time talking to people about how you get your first tv episode and people are you know no one had a good answer everyone everyone did it a different way it's not even you know it's like i mean with with film it's like it's hard but it's like there's these you know you direct a movie and you get into a good right. festival and then yeah you produce your first one on your own and yeah like you know you work yeah. your way up yeah. there's no real equivalent for tv yeah. you yeah. know so that's kind of part of why I, I, I took this path of just sort of being like, well, I have my, I have, I have my back door. I have my, my, my secret way in. And, and once I, hopefully the idea is once I'm in this club, then I'm doing fun, good work. Yeah. Well, and it, it's so much easier just to say yes to a person who's already done it. Right. Like mm-hmm. there's so many people out there, you know, who have, right. Like I, I would say there's more working TV directors than there are working commercial directors right now mm-hmm. right like, maybe there's just there's so much tv yeah. happening right? right i mean there's over 500 um, yeah the scripted TV shows, shows right now shows, yeah yeah, yeah. That's but there are directors there are tv directors that are working pretty much every week oh yeah 
on well, different shows. I think like a, a like a busy TV schedule is like you know five or six episodes a year. I feel like that's I think it's more. You think it's more? Yeah, I I know I know people that are doing like ten, twelve. Yeah, but yeah. even still, let's that's. Again, we're weeks, talking. Yeah. Right? We're talking about single cam shows because yeah. those like yeah. you know the yes. same guy yeah, directs not, not like every episode yeah, of yeah, Big yeah, Bang yeah, Theory. Yeah, 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 single cam. Because you're basically yeah. So what you're t- you're talking essentially like a week of prep for 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 half our comedy. A right. week of prep, a week of shooting, maybe two days in the editing room. Yeah. So that's two and a half weeks, say. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, I mean that's 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 part of the attraction is that like you know sure yeah if you're if you're basically spending you make like, like thirty six thousand dollars in that two and a half weeks yeah that yeah. DGA minimum right right right, right. for a network or for network. anything. Network. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, I don't know if there's a difference between network and cable. I bet there is, but maybe you could tell us. I don't know. I'm always, I'm always, I, I've met a lot of TV directors on these two shows and haven't quite gotten to the point where I'm asking them how much they're making. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, minimums are available. Like, you True. can just look Good at the point. rate card, right? Like, I mean, can't you just look at what kind of car they drive? <laughs> they drive, they drive nice cars. Okay. You know, drives of, the nicest. A lot of Teslas. The DP drives a nice car always, mm. right? Because they use the same one guy more yeah. or less for every episode right yeah, and he like owns all the equipment yeah there you Cash go and checks everyone listening to this podcast become a dp <laughs> yeah no joke though yeah you get you least amount of prep yeah the greatest creative influence and then yeah. you're done Peace. and everyone done. loves you yeah like, yeah your job is easy you don't have to carry anything you're just <laughs> creative and awesome well we shouldn't probably wrap this up but are there any last tips if we have any listeners that are interested in getting into tv <laughs> I mean, I do. Th- I mean, look, I've always said, I think I've said this in the previous podcast that editing is a great way into directing, you know, not just uh, from a strategic, you know, getting the job kind of way, but just actually learning the craft, learning from, I mean, you know, we, again, we, I think we've talked about this, but like directors don't often learn from each other right yeah. we don't visit each other's sets often, you know, if we do, it's like a quick visit. We're not like really studying how, how we work. You know, but as an editor, you get to see how all like a ton of directors work. If you're on TV, I mean, you you know, you get to work with, you know, five to 10 different directors a year, you know, and you learn a ton from every one of them. And so I think I think editing, you know, it's, a, it's like it basically film school and you get paid well. <laughs> right. So. Uh, so, yeah. So I think, you know, if you're if you're struggling and you don't know how to break into the industry, uh Pick up, uh, download a copy of Avid Media Composer. It's you can get a free thirty day trial <laughs> at avid.com and uh, and teach yourself how to edit. Yeah, I would say the one other way into TV that we've heard, we've had guests on our podcast that have taken this other route, which is to sell a show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and and, and not, in fact, the bar isn't as high as it used to be. I mean, right, I think it's just so as shows. competitive, maybe more competitive. But you can sell. I mean, we've had so many people on here There's that have, like sold the show to True TV. You yeah. Know? yeah, 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 hundred percent. Yeah, no. If you have an idea for a TV show, you should be out there <laughs> trying to sell it. <laughs> Selling Q one right now, right? Yeah, there yeah. You go. Cool. Well, cool. so let's move on to unpaid endorsements. So I read, you know, everyone's doing like the year in review lists, right? And so like everyone's like. Movies, TV, all that stuff. But Comic Book Resource did their list of best comics of 2016. And number one is a comic called Vision, right? Like as in the Avenger Vision, the the synthesoid robot, which, you know, I don't know about you guys, but who gives a fuck about Vision, right? It's incredible. It's like so good. And it's basically, it's about 
after Vision and Scarlet Witch break up, he builds his own synthesoid robot family and he moves to the suburbs of dc and he's got a wife and two kids one's like a little boy like a preteen teen and then a 16 year old daughter and like a robot dog and they try to like live like a suburban lifestyle and it's so well crafted the art is incredible the jokes are really great and it is heartbreaking it's so sad and it's just about a sad robot superhero who wants to be a normal person and for the life of him can't and it's great and it's like um just 12 episodes the whole series is done uh, and i highly recommend vision wow and how do you find it comiXology is probably the easiest way but it's a it's in two trades now so there's volume one and volume two that's great so it's actually funny you bring that up because i recently sort of dove back into comics oh right um, i used to read you know i used to be a big I was a big Vertigo kid. Okay. All right. Yeah. Sandman and Hellblazer and Animal Man and, you know, all that stuff. And I recently sort of dived back in and I, and I, and I've, and I've read a couple things that I liked. The one that I'm reading right right now is Saga. Have you read any of Saga? Yeah. I love Saga. Yeah. So Saga is Brian K. Vaughn is the writer who is sort of, you know, a sort of fairly legendary writer. He's the guy. He's the guy. And, and Fiona Staples is the artist um, who's, who's incredible. And, you know, it's funny, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say unreservedly that it's great because there's definitely like a fair amount of cheesy dialogue Mm -hmm. and like a fair amount of like, there's like, you know, like plot threads that kind of dangle a lot. And like, sometimes there's, you know, like nothing happens, but the, 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 the creativity of the like not just world building like universe building Mm -hmm. you know is like pretty astounding i mean it's just like he kind of just like casually throws off these like wildly creative ideas in every episode where he just like you know every issue one issue is like they just go to up they're like they're like on a planet and it turns out the planet is like essentially like a planetoid size venus flytrap where every piece of food that you eat like you know causes you to have a hallucination of a, a loved one telling you to stay on the planet and like live there and like become like part of the planet, you know? And, and like, you know, just like these little thrown off like ideas about technology and, 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 you know, fantastical creatures and beings. And I found it very, uh, yeah, no, fun. I, I love it. I, I feel like I read the first, cause they, they'll take a big hiatus. In between, yeah, right? exactly. Like, yeah. Maybe that first run is like immaculate. It's like perfect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then it gets a little uneven. Yeah. It gets, and then I kind of stopped reading. So I'll, I'll definitely, I'm glad you reminded me. I should have to, I've only read the first three volumes. Okay. But I think there's, I think the, I think either the fifth or the sixth one is like about to come out. So oh, it's, cool. it's, it's like still ongoing. Awesome. Um, but I, I just, just, I recommend just buying like the, the trade paperbacks and, and yeah, it's kind of a bummer to like read it issue to issue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right, yeah. So you read it on paper. So, so basically, yes, yes. So, so every, so they'll do like six issues and then they'll, reprint those six issues in one book and that book you can buy it in a store <laughs> you can also download it you can if you have an ipad you yeah. can you can download it that kind of thing but i it's about, like it's like it's like my one like luddite like old man thing is that i just have not gotten into e-reading i just i can't do it let I, me recommend doing doing it specifically comics mm-hmm. on a tablet is i would say maybe a superior mm. situation okay. and also 
as a bit of a hoarder. Mm -hmm. Like if I was, if I had all of the comics that I own digitally in my apartment Mm -hmm. as well, it would be a real problem. Like comics are already a problem in my apartment. So at least like digitally stored, they're they're fine. You know. All right. All right. Well, the my my secret weapon is that I have a I have a friend who I borrow the comics from. Oh, there you go. There you go. (laughs) So yeah. uh, But in any case, yeah. Well, you know, you can read them in bed, right? That's true. Pretty nice. Yeah. On a plane. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Maybe. Maybe I'll take a dive. So that's your unpaid endorsement, right? Saga. 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 Cool. So I'm going to just plug this website, wolfcrow.com. Have you guys heard of it? Mm-hmm. No. It's like video essays. I don't know. You know, I'm like addicted to video essays about film stuff. So like right now his newest one is called How to Create Twist Endings. And then has one F-stop versus T-stop. And, you know, uh, they're not like... Tony Zhu Zoo level mm-hmm. videos. Like you can tell he just like, you know, he wanted to do a video on Matthew Labatique. So he rented like 10 movies and he cut them together and kind of found his observation on what they all have in common and how his mm-hmm. style has evolved. And they're, they're fine. I, to me, it's like popcorn. I just like, sometimes I'm trying to procrastinate. So I'll just like play 10 of his videos in a cool. row. Wolfcrow.com. Pretty wolf cool crow. Like a the like not a dog, but a wolf and a crow is a type of bird. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Making sure I heard that right. Cool. Well, thanks, Eric, for being on the podcast. Of course. And if people want to learn more about you, ericishack.com. Yeah, that's where you can see all the the things that I've directed. And if you want to see what I'm working on as an editor, you can just look me up on IMDb. Oh, cool. Sweet. Well, if you want to learn more about all of the stuff that we talked about, you can visit justshootitpodcast.com and you can follow us on Twitter at justshootitpod. And you can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlow. And me at Smitey Pileg. And please rate us on iTunes if you can get a chance and email us questions. Just shoot at pod at gmail.com. We love to hear from people. This episode was edited by Eric Cropo. Thanks, Eric. Music was by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks. Bye. 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 Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.